Hi, welcome to Chicana Code Switchers. Your co-hosts are Ariana and Patricia. We are both Chicanas in our master's program. We are also scholar practitioners in student affairs. This podcast is intended to provide insights into higher education with a focus on social justice and pláticas of student experiences. With that being said, let's start the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Chicana Code Switchers podcast. Today, we have the wonderful, uh, a wonderful guest named Leticia Gomez, Corona Gomez. Um, and we have her here today, um, all the way from California. And to, with me as well is my co-host, Patricia. Do you want to say hello? Hello, everyone. And um, basically, Leticia got her BA in Anthropology and Chicanx Studies at UC Berkeley and an MA in International Relations with a concentration on U.S.-Mexico Economic and Political Relations from the University of San Diego. And if we, you could both, um, because Ariana and Leticia um, have met before, and so how did you both meet? Yes, well, first of all, muchísimas gracias for inviting me. Um, I'm very excited to be here um, sharing space with you all from beautiful Silicon Valley in California. Um, definitely, I sympathize you with, with the Hipati in the Central Valley. Welcome to my my region, El Desierto de California. So I completely know the heat that you're feeling at the moment, and it's only the beginning. Entonces, prepárate, mujer. <laughs> um, but while you know, I will enjoy the more beautiful weather here in Silicon Valley, it's much cooler. But I will just dive into how Ariana and I met back in 2010. I was finishing um, Berkeley, actually. My last year, I had just came back from, from Chiapas, from Mexico, doing um, some research with the McNair's program. And so I was, um, you know, very excited to be able to share a little bit more of my work that I'd been doing with um, women weavers and, and cafetaleros, coffee producers, and just measuring and better understanding how fair is a fair trade market and how much they were receiving and such a profit and how they were using spaces of cooperatives um, or what we call cooperativas um, as spaces of self-empowerment for the mujeres and such. And so with that said, I was very excited to share more of my work um, going into the Latina, the Chicana Latinas um, Scholarship um, Leadership Academy. So it's a, basically the Chicana Latina um, Foundation is a nonprofit that invests in um, the future, the professional development academic profession of um, Chicanas in um, California, specifically in Northern California. And Ariana and I were the class of 2010. And so we met there. We were both um, very excited, very young, <laughs> and, and just hungry for, for changing the world. And we clicked. We very much clicked um, and resonated. And it's been almost 10 years that our friendship has just further developed and throughout the years we just um, kept in touch and then most recently we also organized our first Chicanas and Vino um, there with Amelia in um, her beautiful winery in Ceja and brought in together just Chingonas Chicanas you know from all over the, the state of California and really such a beautiful space of sharing and learning from our elders 
and the first wave of Chicanas opened the doors for many of us? And how do we continue that intergenerational um, relationship that many of us are curious to really go deeper and, and foster and, and continue to building up? So that's been a little bit of our friendship. Um, like I said, it's almost been 10 years, but we first met at the Chicana Latina um, Leadership Academy as we were recipients of the scholarship. Yeah, yeah, and it was in beautiful, uh, the Marin Headlands, very beautiful area, very peaceful and away from the city and from our everyday lives. And I remember that that was my last year at Sonoma State. So I was getting my BA in sociology. And, and I always remember that that was the first time that I was exposed to other Latinas like myself who were in higher education. Out of like the four years that I was in higher ed getting my BA and everything, it was the first time that I was in a room full of like 34 other Latinas and um, some elders who were running the, the program. And for me, it was just very like eye opening because I hadn't been in such a space before that point. Um, and then moving forward, continuing these relationships in our different um professional lives, professional roles. Um, it was really nice to be able to like, you know, reach out to uh, different women uh, throughout <clears throat> for help or for resources, for information, for support. So it's a really great program. And I always recommend it to anyone who's in the Bay Area who needs some financial support and also like is interested in learning more about leadership among women of color, mujeres, chingonas, etc. Yeah, and I just want to add to, and I really resonate with everything that Ariana said. I just wanted to add that uh, we also share many femtors, and one of them being La Mas Chingona, La Mera Mera Jefa de Todas, Olga Talamantes. And definitely we met her there at that space at that time. Um, she just most recently stepped down and, um, and is now enjoying the beautiful life of retirement that many of us will one day um, reach. And so we again share, you know, femtors like Olga, who have guided us throughout our, not just academic and professional um, trajectory, but really just la vida, mm -hmm. giving us consejitas that sometimes we, um, as first gen Chicanas, is extremely challenging to be able to identify with other mujeres in certain sectors that were sometimes the only ones or the first. And so what does that look like? And being able to go back to the, at that time, the class of 2010 for the Chicano Latina Foundation of over, I think, 30 mujeres or so. Um, it's just extremely powerful and that space is always gonna be in our corazones and it's very unique. And again, it just, the friendships that many of us developed there, it was a great opportunity, like Ariana said, that it, for us, it was el único espacio that we had, mm -hmm. even in beyond academia, yeah. to, to really come together and not just share our professional struggles, but very intimate personal things that we have never shared with anyone yeah um, and I think that's why it's very sacred to El Corazón and that that was a very unique space that Ariana and I had met in yeah yeah and it's, it's really cool to see now Leticia what you're doing or what have you have done in those almost 10 years um, it is really cool to know that you're the that you're entering new spaces um, new new spaces such as the global development and population being the population fellow at the William and Flora uh, Hewlett Foundation. Um, you're also working across programs for portfolio to provide strategic and an analytic input 
you focus on deepening the foundation support to, or to organizations, advocating for access to affordable, high-quality reproductive health services in the U.S., while also applying principles around diversity, equity, and inclusion in our international grant making. And you've created and managed a new 3 million grant making portfolio that focuses on youth-led organizing and mobilizing it in the, in the U.S. And on top of that, on Leticia's free time um, <laughs> of doing all of this work, um, Leticia mentors young Latinas and women of color in the Central Valley to help their academic and professional development. She is currently a fellow for the Fort Foundation uh, MBA launch program, and she is alumni of the Hisp Hispanas Organized for Political Equality Fellowship, a board member for the UC Berkeley Chicanx Latinx Alumni Association, and a co-chair for the Central Valley Chapter, um, and a board member for the Founders uh, Collaborative for uh, Youth Organizing. She is a proud daughter of immigrant farm workers from Guanajuato, Mexico, and grew up in a small rural town near Fresno. Awesome. Look at you, Lithi. Like, do you have your hands full enough? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the first topic or question that we would like to pose for you is how you got into this philanthropy position world and how and why did you make this transition in the first place? Yes. Definitely um, a, a good question. I'm often asked. <laughs> I'm often asked also, what is philanthropy? O sea, que es filantropia, right? Um, it's something that um, a field that many of us did not grow up knowing. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, in grad school or undergrad, we didn't actually know this existed. While many of us, uh, uh, not saying that, all any, you know, that everyone didn't, but most of us, we didn't. And that's the reality in going into a sector that um, it's very abundant in wealth and resources. And I'm in a position now where I'm able to really strategically think of where are those needs um, and gaps where the resources are not being um, are not given or where there's areas where it lacks investment. And so specifically, I work a lot across the U.S. Um, on issues of U.S. reproductive health and rights and justice. So ensuring all women have access to their whole body autonomy and reproductive health. And so we, a lot of our grant making um, is to nonprofits that have like a national reach that work directly with grassroots organizations that are working with young people, with women of color and such immigrants to ensure that they do have those access to reproductive health in their community and that it is of good quality mm. and so that um that work alone it's very interesting because I came into um, youth organizing as a very young person myself when I was about 15 years old in the Central Valley organizing with a group called Imagine Change Coalition in Fresno and it was a bunch of us kids from rural communities nearby um um, the city of Fresno, I grew up in Selma, which is a rural city about 30 minutes south of Fresno that is known as the raising capital of the world, rich in abundance in what we export, but very poor uh, in, in regards to the resources and quality of life that many of uh, farm worker um, children and farm worker families um, have to endure. And so my older sister, who was at that time in Fresno State um, in Mecha, she um, and a couple of friends that were sex educators at Planned Parenthood, 
decided to take action because there wasn't a space to bring young people to talk about social justice and injustices that we are seeing in our communities, like the spray of pesticides. Many of us grew up working in the fields alongside mm -hmm. our jefecitos, our parents. And so we didn't have spaces to talk about issues of immigration. That time was around when the first big, huge immigrant um, march was happening in LA, and we were going to do an, a counter one or a a similar one in Fresno for those people who could not travel to Los Angeles. And so all that going on, we decided to co-create the space. And why I bring this, because that is hard to, that is very um, close to my corazón, mm -hmm. because we didn't have funders. We didn't have philanthropy like swarming in, investing mm -hmm. in organizations. So most of us got together um, very much grassroots to take action and mobilize. And of course, we were not supported financially by philanthropy, nor I think, you know, foundations didn't re really knew that we existed. However, um, we were doing our shows, we were doing um, marches, you know, around certain social injustices that we were seeing with our own eyes that we were encountering on a day to day basis families being separated, many of those are families, the fear of deportation. I mean, very much issues that resonate today we were talking and discussing it more than like 15 years ago, right, in our communities. And so, you know, years later, that has always um, stayed with me as I then moved on to Berkeley and I moved on to higher ed for my master's. And then I went off to Tijuana to work um, for the actor Forrest Whitaker and his organization in partnership with the UN and doing some youth development programs and stretching it from Africa to, to Tijuana and Chiapas. However, as I would go back home and visit my family, I still saw the same issues um, and the same um, gaps when it came to lack of investments in our communities, especially when it came to education and seeing my primos were not, um, you know, making it through the system. The system was failing them. Our counselors were failing them. Our teachers were failing them. So it was the same reciprocal issues that happened when we we went through college because my older sister and she was muy apegada to all of us mm -hmm. and we listened and it was a united family because of my parents which I'll go further into my family mm -hmm. but it wasn't because of the schools it was like one or two teachers it wasn't the system mm -hmm. so again we saw those same fails uh, failures happening and I wanted to take action and do something mm -hmm. so again from my organizing background and my activismo from a very young age and just having worked in the field and saw those injustices and having una boca grande, you know, I thought professionally through my profession and my career, I could do something. So that's when I decided to go back home and I worked for Leadership Council for Justice and Accountability, working on policy issues at a local level. And we were working with the state and all the way from East Coachella Valley, Central Valley, working with the state to ensure that there was a proper allocation of funding and state dollars to low-income, disadvantaged rural communities who didn't have access to safe drinking, affordable water, and amongst other basic infrastructure, roads, uh, lighting, um, parks, etc., all elements that you know constitute uh, uh, having a qual access to a good quality of life and a dignified life. And there were predominantly, you know, residents in low-income communities of color, mm -hmm. and so doing a lot of work around that. And realized, again, there was gaps when it came to funding that the nonprofit that I was working for at that time, there, we always felt we had to overexplain ourselves to funders. We always had to kind of beg to funders on why they should be channeling resources and dollars to the Central Valley mm -hmm. to address this, uh, these um, big disparities when it came to uh, issues that were not being addressed by our local decision makers or 
um, by the, the state or the federal um, when it came to poverty or just ha- not having the basics to lighting, water, parks, etc. Mm-hmm. So all that said, I, I decided to then um, ask, you know, my, my jefe at that time, you know, no. like, don't, why are we not the funders? You know, we're always on the side of asking for the money. Mm-hmm. We could be the ones giving the money too. But I didn't have a lot of networks or my network wasn't that broad to really understand that there were a few already, you know, Latinas in those spaces, but there was very few. And so at that point, I, I put that, siempre yo me aviento, I always put those challenges since it's part of our resiliency since a young age. And I decided to quit my job as director of community advocacy um, for the environmental justice organization I was working for in Fresno. And I decided to, um, in six months, I would transition to philanthropy. Mm-hmm. At that time, I'm going to tell you, I had no idea como le iba a ser. I had no idea how I was going to do it. Nor did I have the network. However, I had eight network from my Hope Fellowship. I you okay. know, reached out to my Hope Sisters. I reached out to Olga Talamantes, CLF. <laughs> you know, all, I reached out to my professors because many of my research, you know, academia is funded by philanthropy. So many of the foundations I was looking for specifically specifically private had funded my research mm-hmm. when I was in graduate school and undergrad. So I knew my professors um, had those connections to philanthropy. They knew how to um, talk the language and, and such. And so I reached out to all those people around my network and took a step at a time and then went to Hispanics for um, Hispanos, Hispanos, I'm sorry, um, for philanthropies conference. I volunteered. One of my femtors advised me and that made it all. I, I built those relationships and connections and I um, was guided throughout the process of um, which foundations I should be looking into, which ones were um, funding at the national, international level, and also at the local level, since I had done all those three layers and such, and where I could create the biggest impact. And so at that time, um, I applied to Open Society Foundations. I was looking at Ford, because um, I deliberately said, I'm going to go to the private foundations where there's a lot more money, and yet it's less diverse, and especially Latinas are 10, uh, we're very small percentage there in those foundations, and, and Hewlett was on my list. And so the program fellowship uh, position for global development population opened up and I applied and um, I had over 20 people help me throughout the process, like 15 to 20 in my network that were literally guiding me throughout the process of like, let me look at your resume. Let me look at your cover letter. Um, let me prepare you for the four rigorous um, um, interviews that you're going to undergo since they had you know, gone through the process themselves a few years back. Um, let me sit down with you. Let me prepare you. O sea, todo lo que necesitaba para tener éxito. Mm-hmm. And it took me um, a little over six months, but I did it. And now I'm here. And I was very intentional to really ensure that we're really investing more in women of color-led organizations, young people, um, really reaching the people that are most impacted by the issues and problems that we're trying to, you know, address and solve through our grant making in um, philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing. Just like all the hustling that you did and um, just the networking that you tapped into, um, the strategies that you used and just, you know, giving yourself that chance, jumping into it, quitting your job like that. Those are all very high risk things to do. But I mean, mm-hmm. you, you knew you, you could do it. And it's high risk because like it, it's not many of us end up doing that you know like we how we mentioned in our last episode like we tend to stay in our center of comfort you know Mm -hmm. where we're most 
you know, things that we've already done before or, you know, people that we already know. So like taking that jump and leap of faith that, you know, all the work that you prepared to get this position was going to work. And really, it's amazing how many of the people that in your network, you had already done that work ahead of time. It's just, it's up to us to really learn how to use that network. Because we, if especially for like, the three of us are very like, social, and we get to know other people. And so but it's like tapping into them afterwards, like, how do you, you know, ask or know how to know where to ask the right person for the right thing um, mm-hmm. and at the right time because that's that's incredible that that has happened so can you talk a little bit about like that networking experience you've had and that you continue to use you continue yeah. to develop and and maintain definitely um i'll take it a little bit further back um i tend to talk a lot about my papa <laughs> you know <laughs> we sit down around our my abuelitos in the ranch will listen to the stories, right? Mm. Um, I, I won't dwell back too much into the past, but I think that networking for, for me personally and my sisters were five of us, um, bien chingonas in our career, you know, doctors, lawyers. And I say that with so much pride, so much pride because we all came from very humble um, beginnings where my dad never had the opportunity, you know, to mm. go to school, didn't know how to read or write. Uh, my mom only went to the first grade, you know, rancho education. And so for me, I, I say that with lots of pride of where my sisters are today and, and where I'm still trying to, you know, figure out where, where my next move is. That's always how I think. And so with that said, um, I'd like to definitely give credit to my passion and my hunger for, for continuing to moving up and in the sense of determination to do things that we are not familiar with and not, and um, obviously I am like, Tengo tanto miedo inside, but I cannot let that show because, mm. you know, younger Chicanitas are, are <laughs> looking up to us. And so I um, definitely sometimes don't show that fear. <laughs> However, it is very real and scary for us to do things for the first time. And so with that said, why I brought my parents up is because the whole networking and community building and solidarity really came from, I learned it from mis abuelitos in the rancho and um, my, my parents who, when they first um, immigrated to the United States, um, to the Central Rally without any documents, you know, no papeles, sin papeles, it was right before the amnesty. And so that's actually how my parents and all my ran- family and people in our rancho got, you know, their proper documentations was through the amnesty. But before that, cruzaron la frontera like many other families, and um, my mom and dad, we lived in the barrio, Selma, and we basically, just before we were born, but they decided to to rent, you know, we when we were born, my sister's like, an, we were living in apartments, and then uh, rented what used to be an old church, mm-hmm. used to be a church that was transformed into a house in El Barrio, in Selma, and basically they were, you know, providing housing housing for um, a lot of immigrant workers that would come, you know, across the border. They knew to go to our house. They knew that they would have shelter and housing there. Um, many of us, many of our, our, our relatives and some were not very young, young people. And, but we had a whole system that they knew to come to our house. I can't give you the specific details and such of how that worked, but I, that always resonated because I grew up with so much people. We called, you know, grow up so many tios and tias. Mm-hmm. And primos, you know, of not blood, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was just always something that, um, like my dad told the day, we always say this, that he will not sit down. Until everyone, everyone um, is, you know, is sitting down. He'll be the last one to eat. He wants to make sure that, you know, todos tienen, tienen para comer lo poquito que tengamos, hay que compartirlo. So that notion mm. of camaraderie, right, um, was really key to my heart. And I grew up with that. It's like, okay, we cannot move forward without mm-hmm. helping each other. Like, if we're going to move forward, it's because we're all going to move together and collectively. Mm-hmm. Juntos vamos a crecer. And I always took that back to, like, my grandparents growing, um, you know, la cosecha and the rancho of growing las semillas, you know, and, and they farm together as a family. And so that resonated throughout. And I just, my sisters and I took that with us. And how we years is that it was the same thing, building that same um, relationship with people we meet, really genuinely wanting to meet them um, and seeing like, okay, what, how can I support you and you mm-hmm. support me? It's a mutual relationship and we could always, um, you know, benefit from each other's um, support and such. And so that has been a lot of like my kind of the, the seed of the networking and really wanting to build genuine relationships with people. Yeah. And can you talk? about especially how we view networking now that we're in professionals and how they just like that negative connotation that networking has and how it differs on like how you use um, networking and your own definition about it. Yeah, it's a challenge. It's a challenge because I think now in society, um, a lot, it depends if you're introvert and extrovert, right? A lot of people get anxiety and and have feel forced right to to go and, and present themselves because those networks matter and connections matter and many of us are not born with that social capital so we have to build it and such and get to know people so um th- again this is from my personal view it's it's not meaning that everyone sees it this way um i tend i am an extrovert social butterfly <laughs> and so i know that for my sisters some of them are not uh, this whole notion um and even just term of of networking it does make you know their stomach boil inside and so what I like to say or think of networking is that there's multiple ways and avenues how to do it you there's you know big venues where you could go out there and introduce yourself or there's always you know now that we have the internet and um well we've had the internet right for a while but (laughs) meaning more like LinkedIn and and uh, you know um ways to connect like professional networks um that's often an avenue or often the, my best, um, which I personally enjoy more, is the personal introductions. We often forget, and just like going back to my family, you know, it was like el compadre lo presentaba a alguien, and then my dad would present that person to someone, and then you call my en el campo, you know, rancho, hey, compa, I have someone who wants to work with. You know, that's exactly what we're doing. It's just at a different, you know, um, <laughs> scale. And so... I often prefer the one-on-one introductions and, you know, over email and such. And so often that's a preferred way for like my femtees, um, the young Chicanitas that I femtour is, you know, doing on introduction over email. And then I sit with them because often they're like, pues no sé qué decir, what do I say? I was like, okay, why do you want to meet with this person? Mm-hmm. You know, like, what is it that you want to learn from them? Mm-hmm. You could, you could take it very personal or, you know, they're an attorney. You wanted to meet them for that reason. Like, what is it about their trajectory that you're interested in? What are the challenges they face? So a lot as femtors, we have that responsibility of then also, you know, sitting down with our femtees and preparing them just like many others did with us. Mm-hmm. And so 
again, the networking part, it can be, it has so many different approaches to how you do it. Mm -hmm. And so if you personalize it and take it more one-on-one, I think then um, it could take a lot of the butterflies and anxiety of a lot of people. And for many people, you know, they say, well, it's very fake. And and then my response is, well, what's your approach? You know, like you have to be genuine about really connecting with people and you, it has to be meaningful um, and such. And so you have to ask yourself if you're seeing it that way, like, why do you want to connect with that person? And how are you also going to provide support as well? Mm-hmm. And also mentioning how, in especially in the professional network, and I can speak on my experience, like in business, it, it's like the very, there's this culture of like, I just want to network and like talk to you just to know what you're going to give me and, you know, and and if you don't provide anything or within the five, first five minutes of the conversation, I don't see that you're an asset to me, then I cut the conversation and I try to find a bigger person, you know, within my network. So how do you view that? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because there is a lot of power dynamics. I'm in philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, we give money <laughs> um, and I wish we could fund everyone where we can. For many reasons, we shouldn't and such and we don't. And so definitely it is a very um, uh, hard line to draw because we know exactly when we're talked, you know, we're approached, if people want funding as they should, you know, we should be funding more grassroots organizations and more organizations that are under-resourced, et cetera. Uh, but we're also limited in the resources that we can provide. And so the way that I've approached as well, too, is, again, um, really getting to know um, people in my network and getting to know their network and such. And how do we connect? For example, if we're working on a project or so, what is that connection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or who in my network I could connect them with. So again, I take it very personal, but um, it can be, yes, it can be very throw cut um, and depending in the environment that you're in. And so what I try to do, and I'm trying to do as well too, is just changing that culture. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it can be changed. Um, uh, people might think I'm very naive for that. <laughs> But we have to start changing that way that we see it and who, how we connect people um, and how we are connected. And so, again, I would just take it back. I don't have a one you know, answer to, to your question because, again, it, it varies by environment. But I'm very much you know, in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley can be very troca. There's very few you know, first generations, uh, Latinas or Latinx um, and such. And so I feel like once I actually, you know, I have acknowledged the privilege that I do have in philanthropy, um, how do I use this um, privilege to help others with my network? So I could only speak from like what I do and like building those relationships and nurturing them and sharing them with others, which I am well aware that that's not the case for everyone. Um, But again, it's the culture that I'm trying to change while I'm here in the Silicon Valley and acknowledging the power dynamics and the privilege and how do we break those um, barriers. So Leticia, I, I would imagine that when you go up to people or when you send a quick email, do you give them like your 30 second elevator speech? Do you have one? Do I have one? Um, yeah, yes, I have one. I have one. Uh, however, it, it all just depends who, who that person is, who, why am I meeting them? Why am I interested? Also learn, also what I um, have learned is that they could learn from us too. Mm-hmm. You know, often we forget the value added that we do bring to many people, especially genuine people 
um, that have a lot of privilege and they recognize that privilege and want to share those resources mm-hmm. with other folks or want to like really mentor you or sponsor you. Right. I think that's important to really do research on who you're connecting with beforehand to really get to know who that person is. Talk to people who are already in their network, who know them right before you jump into that cold call or, or email. Mm-hmm. But again, to answer your question, um, the elevator pitch, I do have it, but I try to keep it very personal mm-hmm. with people who I meet again and try to make that connection. Like I'm very wanting, I'm, I'm at this point in my life where I want to learn about people's leadership more than anything. And I feel that once you go with that gauge and not just ask for something, then people are more willing to really learn from you and take time to really get to know you and share kind of like their trajectories. Cause that's what I'm looking for at this moment. And as I'm growing in my career and want to transition into also then go back to school, get my MBA um, to again, do another transition into like investment impact investing and such. And so, for me right now, uh, the networking or the people I've connected with has been more for around those purposes of like, how do I learn from, from, your, um, from your experience versus I need this from you? And I think that's been the mistake too, is that many people go at, at very hard and dame algo, necesito algo de ti. And it's like, we forgot about, wait, we first need to build relationships, mm-hmm. you know? I need to know who you are. You need to know who I am. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think now people are like, un, dos, tres, mil por hora. Yeah. That we need to t- take a step back. And again, this is me like get connected back to my, my family of how like we, we need to really listen to each other and build those bridges versus always dame, dame, dame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. And I, you made so many really good points about, about that, that, uh, you know, it kind, of, it kind of ties to the last episode that where we talked about relationship building and, and always, not always just asking, but also being a resource for others. And knowing that, you know, you just never know what kind of like, especially working with students, I'm like, you are just like barely starting, mm-hmm. you know, and so I can't just be so cutthroat and just be like, oh, no, like, you're not a top student, you know, I'm just not going to invest that much just because, you know, there's that's how cutthroat it, it can be in higher ed and just for me I'm like I'm just I, I go networking with more of like how can I know you as a person before your career and I just find that there's like just so much more enrichment in our conversations when that happens and I can be like okay so what do you do and then I'm like oh my gosh this is such an amazing conversation and I learn so much more on like their profession because there's so many things that either way if we're not working in that same profession it doesn't mean that we can't translate those skills over. Like sometimes it's just, I've learned from different people like about elevator like pitches and like I've learned a little bit more about resume and, you know, just networking and just different kinds of networking because we do meet some students that are not the most extroverted, you know, people, individuals out there. So, you know, things like how you're mentioning that one-on-one connections is also just as equally as important than, these huge like socials and you know mixers that we end up you know seeing in conferences or events and stuff so yeah and I mean you're really involved you've been really involved and what drives that involvement for you Leti yes definitely it has to go back to my abuelitos in our rancho in Guanajuato um se llama La Puerta Andaracua en el municipio de Valle de Santiago my, my grandpa, Mifa Luis, Luis Gomez, was always very involved in the local politics, in the Lejido and such. And 
going out to La Capital and Guanajuato to bring resources to our ranchito to make sure that the, the clinicas were being built, the school was being reopened. Um, and as well, too, that the, um, the, the hidos, you know, the local farmers were organized and, and were, uh, you know, had the power to, to advocate for their rights and such when it came to their prices of their product and the roads being paved and such. And so to the date, we have a strong connection to our rancho where we send money um, to any improvements in certain roads, um, las carreteras, um, any, we send money back for anything that has to do related with la, la capilla, la, la iglesia, any repair, la Virgen de Guadalupe. It's very close and, and, and very tight community and such. And so I think that that's where it was the seed planted, mi mamá. Always says, ay, hija, siempre ahí va, ahí está, ahí está. I thought, pa, Luis. I thought, me, pa. You know, and I take that with, as a compliment. <laughs> Although she's like, ay, mija, ya. Ya los pies sobre la tierra. You know, that's always her big phrase towards me. I've just always been a soñadora. And I think just growing up with so many injustices around us, I felt that I found my voice. It, I wasn't always this vocal growing up, you know, growing up in, in an era, you know, where there wasn't the, there was a migrant education program and many of us, instead of, you know, being um, given better quality education, we were kind of like pulled out of classes to, mm -hmm. to learn English and then brought in and we were like already lost already because we didn't speak English and then we were more confused coming back, but we didn't know how our rights or we didn't know how to advocate for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But yet we were advocating for our families when we went to translate mm -hmm. for our, our moms at a very young age. Yeah. You know, we had to learn how to be advocates and activists to ensure that you know, we were, our parents were being translated the, the right information and the translators were us <laughs> at a very young age in la clinica, en la escuela, parents, student teaching conferences. And I think that was just a lot that many of us as first gen um, and children of migrant workers really had to, to learn to, to grow up really quick and uh, find our voice and such. So I think for me, that's where uh, it really it started and then just growing up with knowing what my grandparents contributed to our rancho and the development and investments in in our own communities that really always just resonated with me and I remember that and then just again organizing as a youth myself back with Imagine Change Coalition in Fresno and in my careers you know getting very involved in la, as a student activist on campus in Cal and then later on as a graduate student focusing all my research on the um, inequalities when it came to the labor market and why weren't you know small-scale farmers getting their fair share of the market and why couldn't they defend themselves you know what were those barriers that impeded them I think I found always ways of transferring my activism into my academic mm -hmm. uh, research and then into my professions and choices that I've made along my way but it really comes from I have to say not just my abuelitos but mi ama. And my apa, I mean, my mom is this fierce guerrera. She really is. The things that that mujer had done for five daughters to to really survive in the barrio, make it through school. You know, many of, unfortunately, you know, our friends got pregnant very young. It was very common, our, our primas and such. And my mom was fierce, you know, in making sure that we were going to get a good education. And then, and then my older sisters really then paved the way for us and we led, you know, and then for our smaller sisters, we're still working with them as they, you know, go into law school and med school. But I think, yeah, it's a combination. And again, I bring it to a whole community. I give credit to like 
uh, you know, my ancestors, ancestor, los abuelitos, my, my mom, my dad, fierce, fierce people. And my mom as a fierce mujer as being the first one who left the rancho. And just we were taught really just always reach a hand back, honestly. And I think all our careers, whether it's medicine, law, business, philanthropy, all of us, we've just integrated that. And that has been the root of our social justice mm-hmm. and way of giving back to our community. But I think now, as we talk about like mentors, we have an obligation you know, to pave it forward like many others did. Um, and there's still gaps that we can definitely still strengthen when it comes to, to um, investing in the pipeline, right, of our leadership and professional pipeline. And being in philanthropy, I, it's very isolated. It's very, very isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, as first gen, and I'm very Mexicana. Yo soy bien ranchita, you know, ranchera. You know, I love banda. I'm always with my botas. I love, you know, montando caballo. I, I learned to love my accent, you know, and it, it's fine. You know, it's, I mean, it, it's fine that I, you know, acknowledge all that, but it's not fine that I should feel so isolated and culturally you can't bring your whole self to work. What is, you know, how do we, talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, how is it that we can really be inclusive so you can culturally bring your whole self to work? Because mm-hmm. we're not there yet in many spaces. And in philanthropies in Silicon Valley, you're talking about some of the most, um, you know, powerful, rich people are here. But yet there's also discrepancies of wealth and where who makes that wealth and how they make it and who has access to that wealth and who doesn't. Right. And who has access to good quality of life and investments and resources and education. At the end of the day, I think for many of us, our, our education has been our way out of poverty. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, like Cesar Chavez says, you know, once um, you have, you're educated, no one could ever take that away from you. And I think we've used that as our weapon, our tool to really empower ourselves and hopefully, you know, build that strong pipeline for the next generation of, of Chicanitas and Chicanitos who, who are really right there next to us. But I think it's just, you know, it's collectively a whole comunidad and that's built my, my social justice. Um, really like centered lens around my both academic, professional, and just personal life. Yeah. And that reminds me of the, just, just like the paint it forward um, topic theme that we want to discuss in this episode is with regards to seasonal professionals versus up and coming professionals and how information is shared or not being shared amongst us and how, that may uh, be something that may facilitate that process of us connecting with with other um, people that are already doing the work that we're aspiring for. So can you speak on, on, on those experiences that you've had with, you know, mentoras or femters in your life? Yes, that's a very good question. And it's been coming up more and more as now I mentor you know other young ones um definitely I think that we're already starting to do it like our generation and such I mean we did it you know Adriana I'll give you that example of recently you know the Chicanas and Chingonas and Vino right where we brought in multi-generational and mujeres from multi-sectors um all Chicanas in you know different ages different um stages in their career and such and from different geographic areas as well too and and um countries and I think that itself was beautiful. So how do we continue replicating that, right? But it took us to reach out, mm-hmm. right? And invite, you know, las mujeres. And it, it happened though, but it was very simple. <laughs> it wasn't so complex, but I think it's just making the time to do it, 
um, because we did have to sit down, right? And we had to look at calendars and we couldn't accommodate to everyone's schedule. So we just were like, okay, this is a day. And whoever can join us, we'll see you there. And this was just the beginning, right? To get things started. And I think we just need to like throw ourselves out there uh, more often and aventarnos. I mean, we're already aventadas, right? Or else we wouldn't be where we're at in our careers Mm -hmm. and such in life in general. And so I think that's that's one example. And and for us, it was just so powerful learning from Amelia Ceja mm-hmm. and just for her tra- trajectory and being the first, you know, Mexicana to open a winery. And many of us did not grow up knowing, you know, she existed and, and the Ceja family and the, the powerful, you know, industry. And yet there are a few Mexicanos who have, you know, paved the way and such. So I thought that was par- powerful and her social justice and connection to Dolores Huerta and, you know, the the movimiento. Mm-hmm. And how she used to house, you know, a lot of the organizers when they were going out lobbying in Sacramento. And we were right there living a moment of her story, right? Or creating her story mm-hmm. and such. And I think for what we can continue doing now moving forward is continue to do this type of circulos, like gathering. I think one of the other ones with Las Profas was about like taking out for almuerzo, you know, take, going out for un vinito and such. And really instead of, yeah, creating spaces to, Llorar is important, but also celebrar. I remember mm-hmm. we did that um, chingonas and vino around Ariana going to Harvard. Huh. You know, we're <laughs> like, no, tenemos que celebrar. You know, I, actually, that's how it started, to be quite honest, is because we wanted to celebrar um, our chingona comadre Ariana before she went to, to Harvard. And I realized we don't do that enough. Mm-hmm. We don't celebrate each other's accomplishments. And um, we need to do that more often. And I felt that that was a space where many people connected. And see, that's a networking space mm-hmm. as well, too. And then I think just doing more mentoring one-on-ones, you know, and diversifying, you know, what we call uh, or what I refer to and a term that I learned from my jefa around your board of, di- a board of directors, right? Mm-hmm. Folks that are going to be from diverse sectors, from diverse backgrounds, gender, sexuality, et cetera. Um, ethnic, racial backgrounds to guide you throughout the process and, and, and support you because also a big person and, and such a, a key influencer in my career shift and was judge, now judge Ana de Alba mm-hmm. and such. And I remember her words and I'll never forget it. She, she clearly said to me, I don't know about, I don't know anything about the philanthropy, but I have a network and consider it yours. That was all she needed to say, wow. you know, and then she connected me to one amiga in philanthropy, which led to another, which led to another. And she's like, you should go to this conference, Hispanics and philanthropy, if you want to connect with all, you know, Latinx in philanthropy. And I told her, I, I don't have the money at the moment. You know, I had put a plan, six month plan to have saved. And then I was doing some consulting work with ACLU at that time too. on know your rights for immigration work. I told her, I, I can't invest 500 something in this conference. She's like, no, 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 no. Go for free. Volunteer. You're going to go volunteer. Mm-hmm. That'll give you FaceTime with people, register people, but it'll be up to you to make that, that, con- that initial contact and to um, do the follow-up with them, right? Which I did. And you have to también ponerte las pilas because things are not going to come to your lap. And so that's what I, I did and such. And so... That, again, that came from that connection initially came from una chingona from, that was an attorney, now a judge, mm. you know, and another person who, again, uh, was not in, was in medicine, you know, so it's like, don't just go towards people that are most aligned with your professional background, because then you all will eventually have the same network. <laughs> yeah. And so it's kind of like, well, you're talking to the same people, right? 
Entonces, I feel it's so, and again, knowing people, really genuinely building those connections to get to know those people and such. And people know people who know people who know people. It's a ripple effect. You know, it's a little cadenita and you build onto that. And remember also that you have so much to offer and to learn. I mean, not just to learn, but people learn from you. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to go into those conversations, recognizing our own power and our own brilliance and chingonaness that we do have and we what we bring to the table or to that room when you're meeting with that one person. So I think for us to really continue that pipeline and really just diversify and also with age and gender and and um and race, which for me was hard because a lot of my femtors for many reasons were Chicanas mm. and elders. And I realized también that I needed to open up more my my horizons and really expand my network and such. Um, and connect with other people that were just like as like-minded and I could learn as much as they you know they have other networks that we were born with and such and social capital and we could learn from each other and we support each other just like many people in my who are femtors and who are like philanthropists they they literally you know built this wealth or inherited their wealth and they're wanting to really learn from us you know like what are our issues our priorities And I can be, you know, speak from first experience and not just from a professional lens. But let me like, let me tell you the needs in our communities. And these are the people you need to talk to who are working for these organizations. And she trusts me. So it's that trust mm -hmm. and, and, and such. And you spoke like what resonated with me, like is the conversation, especially since for me, my trajectory right now is as a new professional, as a new everything. Um, and so like when my imposter syndrome comes in it's like knowing like the next career mover the next thing is like oh my gosh I know everything and and realizing that they're human too and that if they're bringing you know like some either some tough either comments or stuff like that it's because they probably most likely have done that mistake themselves mm -hmm. and that um when I bring things up and they don't get it and I'm like I have to realize like I'm in a different generation Mm -hmm. And I have this new knowledge and this new conciencia that like they may not have it or realize the potential and the change. And, and so like being either comfortable with that uncomfortableness in that moment. And then also like give yourself affirmations to know like, si tienes cosas que like to contribute. Yeah. And that although it may not be look like the, you know, general field, how everyone sees it or how everyone has done it before. Like, that's the key is that we, we do come into these spaces and bring something new and something fresh and that our, you know, consejos or our experiences or the things that we've witnessed within our own communities, like there's value to it. Yeah. And I just want to add to about the, the connections and, and, you know, reaching out to people sometimes it's going to be the case that that person is not interested, you know, in really femtoring you or sharing their experience. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's not like it, don't take it personal. You know, you didn't know them. They didn't know you. Está bien. O sea, hay mil personas en este planeta. I mean, there's not, I mean, there's a lot more, but you know, there's a lot more people out there, you know, for their reason, must have been not a good day. They're going through a lot mm -hmm. themselves. It's okay. Don't take it, you know, al, al que sigue. And it's fine. It's, at times we do get no's and I think at times we take it too harsh on ourselves it's like no it's not you it's that individual they're going through and sometimes it's a blessing it's okay. you know yeah that they say yeah. no because you also, exactly like the other side of the coin coin I've, I've had this moment where people are like yes y después they don't come through and then you're like mad 
And then I'm like, I rather would have had, it would have been so much better if you would have just said no at the beginning and then like not wasted my time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, just something that this reminds me of is for example, even right now I'm going to this, this conference (laughs) in Puerto Rico on, on Wednesday night. And And it's interesting how it happened because I wasn't planning to go anywhere this month. I wasn't planning on going on any conferences, but but my professor, Dr. Roberto Gonzalez, who is, you know, a badass uh, professor on contemporary immigration and policy, um, taking his class. And he mentioned this conference like in February. And I then looked into it more because Harvard actually pays Uh, gives us like $500 to go um, to use it for to cover like conferences and I didn't want to go because I was going to go by myself but then at the same time it that's how like relationships relationships are built is because they at least for me it puts me in a position where I don't know anyone and it forces me to talk to other people that I wouldn't usually go to because I would have someone with me that I can talk to right someone that I'm familiar with so um I took advantage of the opportunity, especially if Harvard's going to be paying for my transportation there. Um, and the registration for the conference is free. So I think it's like opportunities like these that we can't let go by. Like we can't, you know, um, hold our own selves back from opportunities because you never know what's going to come out of it. Right. Um, so one of the organizers already friended her on Facebook. <laughs> That way I'll have someone that I know and I I see her like I have a visual of who she is. So that way, at least I'll know her and then from there build on build upon that. Yeah. So exactamente, Somero. <laughs> I mean, you said it so beautifully. That's exactly how it starts. Te tienes que aventar. Sí. Tienes que ser aventada. You know, no hay tiempo para la pena. Exacto. You know, con qué se come eso? You know, and you have to really just throw yourself out there and take big risk and be bold, especially when we sit on so much privilege mm-hmm. and such. And it's like, okay, how do you make, take advantage, not just at the privilege that you do have, but also, um, como te digo, also share mm-hmm. those resources that come with that privilege of being at Harvard or being, you know, myself in philanthropy mm-hmm. or about the higher education. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, how are we using that privilege to create spaces and opportunities for others that otherwise wouldn't have? Mm-hmm. And how do we expand the networks and not just the networks, but our profession yeah. to bring in more first generation Latina, Latinas and Chicanas and, you know, women of color in our sectors, because it is lonely and we go through a lot of emotional roller coasters. And that's why we do need to build that strong network of, positive like-minded people that are there that are going to cheer you just like you're going to cheer them Mm -hmm. and for those that are not willing to really be that positive you know person then it's time to also remember that you control who enters and who leaves your life you know and that you should take that to your professional world as well too not just on the personal level and I think oftentimes we don't we forget that we have that power Mm -hmm. and such too and so as you keep growing and all of us keep professionally moving up, it's important for us to also continue to um, not just open those doors, but to make sure that they're maintained open. And how do we femtor and prepare the folks so they don't have to go through the same challenges that we had to endure? Yeah, yeah. And that was what was really cool about the Benito gathering that we had last summer before I left uh, for grad school was that my friends... Some of my friends, you knew some of them 
right? Um, but then it was really cool just to bring all of these people that all in, within our networks together that had similar um, backgrounds, similar uh, qualities, characteristics. And then like when we all got together, it was like nonstop, like platica here, platica there, connections, like emails. And so we're like expanding our network right there. Um, and also while also enjoying ourselves in a safe space where we could be, you know, our authentic selves, you know, we don't get to do that often. So what, that was what I found very meaningful. Um, in, in that gathering that I really, really yeah, liked. That's true. And that's where I built the relationship with our comadre Magali. And we've been supporting each other throughout <laughs> the gruesome, horrible, you know, sometimes very sad and crazy. Um, I'm just going to stop there. Business school application process and such. And we've been supporting each other. And I wouldn't have met her, you know, if mm-hmm. it wasn't for that space mm-hmm. and such. And then it was interesting because we, it was so natural so natural that we clicked and we became good comadres right away and we're supporting each other because of those moments the most difficult and challenging moments of our life we're living them together yeah and it was created from those spaces so again goes back to the multiple ways and avenues that you can do networking and it's you know up to us to own it take it take it um own it and realize it that we've been doing this as a form of resiliency our families and we had to just mold it to best meet our needs since everything else is not meeting our needs and we have to then you know reconstruct it mm-hmm. you know and uh cosechar algo nuevo right del corazón and i feel that that's what we're doing as you know chicanas as latinas we we speak a lot with our corazón and we just need to remember that as we're doing networking that we could you know build bridges and relationships at places like vino mm-hmm. over like wine <laughs> sharing a glass of wine yeah, And at the same time, it wasn't just the wine, but who made the wine, mm-hmm. the story of La Mujer and her family, you know, Amelia Ceja, um, and the recognition that she deserves. And we were just learning about, mm-hmm. you know, her, her just amazing trajectory and the, opens that she, the doors that she opened for many others. And so it was just such a beautiful moment. And that itself was, you know, networking. And we were only supposed to have been there like dos horas, like two hours. It ended up being like eight hours later. <laughs> I was like, ay, Dios mío. And then it became like, like, like oh, space. <laughs> it was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, let, let me say, you are, you mentioned uh, business school. How does that, I mean, you already have a master's uh, from, what is it like, uh, USD? Yeah, University of San Diego. Um mm-hmm. So what, you know, why, why an MBA now? That's a good question. <laughs> I had to ask myself that. <laughs> I had always, um, not always, I shouldn't say always, verdad? Um, but I was, oh, I was interested from a very young age in business because I grew up around it. My tias had, a, you know, my abuelitos from generations back that I could remember, you know, what I was told, they had a tiendita, you know, the, the rancho, my, uh, my other abuelitos had el molino, you know, to make mistamal for las tortillas. My, my abuelitas sold, you know, um, grazed goats, you know, las chivas, um, cows, and they sold the milk and the eggs, fresh, organic, you know, porque el otro día, todo era orgánico, you know, there was no organico, non-organico until like, you know, Monsanto and all the chemicals. Anyways, um, so I grew up with that spirit of entrepreneurship and from a very young age, que mi tía vivía, you know, tacos los chicharrones, etc. And then um, here in the U.S., I 
helped uh, my uncle selling botas de Guanajuato de Leon um, from a very young age in El Remate. You know, at the flea market, that's where he sold. Um, and he imported his his boots from una fabrica from Leon. And for people who don't know and who are listening to podcasts, you know, Leon Guanajuato has the best leather and, and it's known for boots and, and manufacturing them and importing, exporting them out. And so my tío, here this, you know, again, another individual like my tías who had very little access to financial resources or capital um, or investments or connections to investors, but yet they were launching their small little micro businesses. And so I was always fascinated by that. And I just loved it, you know, my outgoing spirit and um, really was always helping them. Entonces, when I got into college, I was discouraged by a counselor because I, I, I wanted to declare business, was discouraged. And at that moment, I didn't know what else to do. I had, you know, wanted a career in business, even though didn't really know what business was beyond just like those micro empresitas, you know, <laughs> that I had grown up with. Uh, however, I, that's what I wanted to declare. And I was discouraged. And so I went to my sister and she's like, well, I have a friend who just declared anthropology. You should do that. You get to travel. You're still able to do research. You get to learn about las culturas and, and your own cultura también. Um, you know, go deeper and and still do economics. And I was like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I'd already, you know, was doing Chicana and Chicano studies, you know, Chicanex. And so I went forth that, but I still found ways to take host classes like business in Berkeley and do my both research projects in Chiapas. That's why I went to Mexico back uh, around business and markets and fair trade. So that's a long story to your question, but, you know, I had always been from a young mm -hmm. age, just a semillita was sembrada there. And academic-wise, I, I wanted that. And then when I went to grad school, I figured international relations was the best way of doing a little of everything. My passion, you know, politics, public policy, economics, and always with that concentration of U.S.-Mexico political and economic relations and such and development work or um, investments. And so I then chose that career without no, because I didn't know anyone in my, I didn't know anyone who had done an MBA. And so I didn't know, I talked to one, one um, MBA student, but at the time she was like already graduating. So I was like, okay, that's it. Like I spoke to her once. She didn't reply again. I did not, you know, send that follow-up email. So I was like, okay, that's it. It was great to know her. I wish her the best. And she helped me a lot. Don't get me wrong. But other than that, I had no, no other person in my life that I knew that was MBA or in business around the area because I still didn't know what I was going to do in business, right? There's so much. Mm -hmm. And so now that I'm in, um, in philanthropy, I decided to make this go back and, and make this shift because I want to go deeper in the investments. And so eventually I want to start a fund that invests in um, women, undocumented young people, um, indigenous populations back in Central Valley to start their businesses, but scale as well to an organic farming and such, but really build that bridge between the investors and um, the funding opportunities here in the Chile Silicon Valley back into the, you know, be that pipeline and bridge to the Central Valley. So, which I've been doing already through my other uh, professions, but really go deep in that investments and really dismantle some of those barriers that are, or hint that people don't have to financial resources. And really, I'll start building our own wealth and be investors and such. And so, that's kind of like where I'm heading. I'm still trying to articulate it, but I do want the MBA because I want to, you know, definitely sharpen my financial um, skills and have the opportunity for two years to go deep on the finance side and make sure that I know que estoy haciendo exactly and build that network and, and take that network 
that business school will give me back to the to my community in the Central Valley. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's awesome. I mean, are there any specific schools you're looking into? Yes, <laughs> I'm looking into Harvard, <laughs> um, Harvard, um, Wharton, Penn. I'm looking into UC Berkeley, my alma mater, um, Stanford, and Yale. And I have to continue, you know, definitely doing some deeper dives and more research on other schools. Um, and I'm picking those specifically, of course, they're very, you know, strong on finance and the networks and their alumni because I've been following um, the few that, you know, not, there's only one that I know, Mexicana, that started a, a fund. Um, there's very few women in this, in the sector of investments. And when it comes to impact investing, it's still a growing industry. And so I've been following those few mujeres, the women who have started their funds, and they've come from these schools that I just named. And so there's reasons beyond just the name and the brand, but also it's important. You need to be able to go where those are the, the you know, the professors that you want to do research with, who you want to learn with, who your classmates and the, the network and the access, right, to those resources and such. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'll be applying this year. So that's why I've been just busy studying and everything else, you know, um, unfortunately, I've had to pull away from other parts of my life that uh, my community involvement but this is going to be for the reason you know deeper investment in my community and my family mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um that's amazing i know you're gonna make it because you're a chingona and you've gotten this far um so i'm excited for for your future opportunities uh when it, when they come whatever they may be and you know keep echándole ganas como siempre i mean i don't need to tell you that you're 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 on it you're you're using your skills and your abilities and all of your resources to do that. Um, if there is any last comments or words of inspiration you would like to leave our audience with. Yes, there's definitely like three last points I want to just address is echenle ganas, you know, echenle ganas, find your strong um, support network, emotionally, professionally, academically, surround your yourself by positive loving people that believe in you I think oftentimes um, we don't think about surrounding ourselves with well-intentioned people right to uplift us and at the end of the day you know if you feel good talking to those people then those are the people that stay with you you know to always you know remember why you're doing this at the end of the day you know when I'm when I talk to my femtees you have to be honest yeah, shit gets harder. You know, th things as you keep moving up professionally or academically, the rigor of uh, academia, because again, we're sometimes the only ones or the first, you know, in our families or in our community or in our whole rancho or whatever it is, you know, to, to go through these um, systems that were not meant for us. Well, we have to make them up for us and we have to create them. And that's why it's important to go together as in, in una comunidad, you know, build that community while you're there, find the people that and services that you need both mentally, professionally to continue, you know, investing in your health. That is very important. Your health, don't forget to invest in your self-care as much as it's tough, really make that time um, to, to exercise, you know, drink tons of water, eat, you know, good food, um, make time for you. And then third, don't ask, don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm -hmm. You know, um, many people, um, can isolate themselves. And I think it's important for us to learn to how to ask for help and such. And then for us as femtors to be prepared to get that help, 
to ourselves as we're giving that help. Don't forget, we also need to continue like helping ourselves and definitely find ways of always connecting your passion for your, your community, your, your hand that your family for your career. There's always ways to do it and don't feel guilty. If you can't build that bridge, you know, at the end of the day, you know who you are. Don't feel questioned. Don't feel pressured. You know why you're doing things. At the end of the day, you should not feel um, you are, you know, turning your back for your community. At times, you have, you can't commit as much as you can because you're doing you. And I think that's my last takeaway. Invest in yourself mm-hmm. first, mm-hmm. really. Um, I think that we forget that and we want to help todo el mundo. We want to help everyone. But we first need to help us. Si nosotros nos estamos ahogando, ¿cómo vamos a ayudar a los demás? And yeah, definitely. And just continue keeping your corazón abierto and echenle ganas. You're not alone. You're not alone. Reach back. You have a strong support of chingonas there um, that are definitely willing to to support you. And I think more than anything, thank you all for, for doing this amazing um, podcast that is very needed in our community. And you all are already doing that, building that network, ¿verdad? And I think for me, it was um, such un, an honor, you know, no honor estar aquí presente con ustedes and sharing the space and time. And I think that's it. But any, I think just, again, I've said it so many times throughout this, this show, echenle ganas, crean en ustedes. You have to believe in yourself. As tough as it gets, keep going, keep going, but find the right support at that moment. Um, and always know and the intention behind your work and, who, and, and reach, don't be afraid to reach out and um, ask for help. For all of our listeners, thank you so much, um, Leticia, for just sharing so much knowledge and, you know, your story with us. And um, for our listeners, you can email us at chicanacodeswitchers at gmail.com and send us your POC business, conference, and event shoutouts and listener letters. You could also record a listener message on Anchor app and we could include in our future episodes. Follow us on Instagram at chicanacodeswitchers and Twitter X code switchers if you want to support this podcast and contribute to our graduate funds you can venmo us at chicana code switchers thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode and until next time thank you mujeres thank you bye gracias adios bye